Hello there. My name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. And there is an ultimate meaning and destiny that you can choose to have. It has been a message that has been from the very beginning of time, from the time of Adam till now, and actually a message that's even been before the earth was created. It is the everlasting gospel or good news. And that good news is that there is ultimate meaning and purpose beyond your greatest comprehension in this. That there is love. And that love is who God is. A love that is so pure that it will not tolerate the slightest that is contrary to love. A love that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. A love that is the opposite of corruption, that is the destroyer of corruption. It is so pure. This is the holiness of God or the defensive aspect of the being of God's love. And yet a love that is so great that God himself could suffer more than you, a mere creature, and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, as he did on the cross through Jesus Christ. I mean, that is something that is beyond comprehension. Just consider the vastness of the universe. It takes five light years to get to the closest sun, like our sun, and our sun is only an average-sized sun. Do you know how many suns or stars there are in the universe? According to what they can see only? According to what they can see only, for every single grain of sand on the earth, there is a thousand more stars. Or for every person of the seven billion people on the earth, I forget if it's each person would have eight trillion, stars or 80 trillion. I forgot now on that one. I got my memory jogged on that. But you get the vastness of the universe and we can't even, we'll never get even to the closest star that may have another solar system. The vastness of the universe is beyond comprehension. And now with the James Webb Space Telescope, of course, they've discovered that the Big Bang Theory, is, theory has been pretty well brought to nothing because it's been totally blown away in 16 major points. Look up the James Webb Space Telescope. It's a hundred times more powerful than the Hubble. Well, I'm just sharing with you about the creator, that he could come to this little insignificant speck. That's like, you know, going on to a speck of grain, actually far more than a, far, far smaller than a speck of grain on this earth and communicating with the creation that he created on that little planet. And then you look what God created within our body with cells, with DNA and genes. 
but the trillions of cells that make up our body. And in every single cell, there are machines that are way more complex than the most complex thing that man can make. That can, like a spaceship that can go to outer space. One of the top experts in this field said that it's like making a spaceship that can travel to other planets, reproduce itself, and then spread to other planets. Man doesn't even come close to the greatness of God's awesome creation. Our genes in one little cell, one, one of those strings of genes, and I may not have everything technically right here, but it spreads out to six feet long. And the information in those genes that make up uniquely who you are, I think they said the information in books would go all the way to the moon and back 50 times. I know they said that, I saw it. Our God. It is so obvious that there is a creator. And I, you know, you can go to my website at ultimatemeaning.com to look that up, where you can see all the evidence. I have a flip book there, all the amazing YouTube videos that are in the links on my flip book there that point to God who is love, this ultimate reality that is the very source of reality. In the Old Testament, in the Bible, he was described as Yahweh Elohim which the equivalent in English is Lord God, Lord being Yahweh and God being Elohim. And the word Lord basically means the ultimate reality, the I am that I am, separate and beyond creation. And the word God is Elohim means the Almighty's, and it's referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so God is love, and his love is so great and he is so great that he could condescend to this little speck of a planet in Jesus Christ. And he even communicated many times before he came in human form, for example, to Abraham in Genesis 18, where there's three angels that are before Abraham. And he makes a wonderful meal for them and they eat with him. And he addresses the main leader as Yahweh, which is the most sacred name for God that I just described. Yes, God's love is so great, and he is so great that he can actually communicate with what he creates. He is so great that he came in his one and only full expression of himself, the word expression basically means son. Jesus Christ was the full and one and only full expression of the being of the one true God who came and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffered more than you, a mere creature, on the cross so that you could freely choose to repent of your sins and be forgiven of all your sins through his body that was broken unto death and his blood that was outpoured unto death for you out of his love for you. There is no love that can be greater than this love or that could be imagined that is greater than this love. There is no love that could exist that could be greater than this love. Only this love could be entrusted with unlimited power and life and authority without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way, thus indicating that he is the very source. Yes, the one true eternal God. And yes, he is in three personages because he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence. 
as the Father beyond the creation realm, beyond time and space, as the Son fully into the creation realm to communicate with it on a limited creature level and to experience it, and as the Holy Spirit and omnipresence, which is the other ultimate aspect of existence. So it's beyond creation, in creation, and filling all creation is the Holy Spirit and omnipresence. And so I'm here to share with you the good news, the everlasting gospel. And this is what I just shared with you. From the time of Adam till now, the message has been clear that there is only one God and that only God has the power to forgive sin. And that was ultimately revealed in Jesus Christ on the cross who rose from the dead. And yes, before that time, they used to take an innocent animal like a lamb and place their hand on it as a symbol of the sin being transferred to that lamb. But they acknowledged that it wasn't the animal that could forgive them, but only God, because only God could be a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice to represent the soul and the spirit of man and not merely the body of man with a physical thing like an animal to cleanse the physical dimension. So I have good news for you. And I want to share that good news. So I've shared a bit of, of, to those that are new of this everlasting gospel, which has been before the creation of the world, because the word of God says that even before the world was created, God foreknew that his son would come on the cross and die and rose again. And he foreknew you. And he knew that there would be all of these that would come to choose life everlasting, to be restored into union and love union with God and grow in that identity with the creator. There is nothing that can fulfill the innermost part of your being more than this. Nothing can, only this can. You are created with a God vacuum that can only be filled by the spirit of God. And so Christ says to you who are thirsty to be filled as he does in the word of God. Whoever believes with their life into me, out of their innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Now these messages I share to those that have come to know the one true God, Yahweh the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for whom to know is life eternal. Jesus Christ, for whom to know is life eternal. I just want to share with you how I share these messages for those that are new. I seek to speak as the oracles of God because it says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, referring to believers gathering together, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We are to seek to allow God to speak through us to one another at all times, to build up one another, to edify one another, out of love. And it also says in Revelations 19.10, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is out of a heart set and a mindset of worship that when we worship God in spirit and in truth with great reverence and awe and humility and love, that we are filled with his spirit and an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances so that we speak prophetically, or in other words, as the oracles of God. And so I will seek to be in a heart set and a mindset of worship as I give this message to allow as much as I can of 
God to speak through me what he is saying by his spirit to the body of Christ in this hour. And so one other thing I do to facilitate speaking as the oracles of God is to cast lots to receive the possibility of any chapter from the Bible, to cast lots before God. And so I use two independent random applications. And I do this with great reverence and, and, and prayer, pray very reverently and carefully before God over these applications afresh each time. And then I cast the lot. And then those two chapters bear witness with each other as to the message, as to the theme. There's the odd time I have displeased God and it doesn't work. And I know when that's happening. <laughs> and I just pray that I never do fall into those tendencies ever to displease the Lord. It doesn't happen a whole lot. But if you do this, you're not walking right with God. It would be divination. It would be wrong to do this. And only do it if you feel God's leading you to do it. But I'm doing this to facilitate in every way, allowing God to speak what he would want to say by his spirit to the body of Christ. And God is calling the leadership in the body, in the church in this hour to speak as I am emphasizing, to seek to speak as the oracles of God. What is the spirit for this particular time saying to the body of Christ? As it says in Matthew 25, towards the end of that chapter, it says, Blessed is that servant whom when his Lord cometh shall find so doing. Doing what? Feeding the sheep their meat in due season. The right word for the right time that is needed the most for those of his people. So I, I'm going to be sharing with you what I receive because right now I'm just doing one message a week because video is a lot of work and I have a lot I'm doing right now. And uh, so I will be sharing with you what I received throughout the week by the casting of Lot where I just spent a half an hour in two chapters and that's it and meditate a bit and make a few notes or just copy and paste scriptures. And so I will share those two chapters. I don't know what I'm going to share from them. I'm just going to let God speak. I'm just speaking from my heart. Now, the other thing is that I also seek to find a worship song that would be appropriate, sometimes through the casting of Lot. Um, and so this time, I'm not doing it so much through the casting of Lot, except that I saw this song when I cast the Lot, because I am very fussy about the songs I choose. Oh, I might choose the one I got by Lot, too, as it is in the playlist, but we'll see. I think I'll just play the first one I have here. So we'll do that right now. And please, you know, come to my website at loverealize.com because there's a almost, I think, around 150 worship songs. There's a few I don't like that I'm probably going to remove off there that aren't the greatest, but most of them are really high quality with great meaning and depth in the words, unlike the typical modern songs of so many today that have shallow meaning in the words and... Uh, Oh, man, I go to church services. They almost sing the same songs every week. It's so boring. I mean, I don't understand the, the how they, I find it boring. I love variety. I love creativity. I want to cre be creative. When you really love God, you're, you're, you're creative. You want to, when you really love someone, you want to do your best to describe how much you love them. So you become very creative in your words. 
and it's so lacking, but God is going to restore it in these last days to the body of Christ. So I want to just bring out a song today, and we will worship with this beautiful song. All of the songs are high quality that I have on my website at loverealize.com. So here is this song, and I will minimize myself in a moment here. There we go. I hope it's at the beginning.
What a wonderful song that is. How I love that song. It is such a wonderful song. And so, as that song says, someday we'll see him face to face. Oh, right now, you know, we might be in prayer and, and it might feel at times in prayer like, oh God, I want to hear you speak to me. I want to see you. He has his time to reveal himself in some measure in this world. But remember, it is a walk by faith. We do not walk by sight, by faith. And that applies to hearing too. We do not walk by audible hearing of God's voice, but by faith. But it is through the hearing of faith, which in the Greek is pistis, meaning moral persuasion in who God is, that God does respond. And we have, as it says, he that worketh miracles among you. How does he do it? He does it by the hearing that is the hearing of moral persuasion in who he is. And we pray and we believe God and we ask. And when we ask, not amiss, but according into conforming to the being of God's pure and holy love that is not self-seeking, but only seeks his glory. When we as a body gather together, not in our own name. And if there's someone that has enmity in our midst, with another brother or sister, that would hinder that coming together to release that kind of power in unity. God is calling his people to come together into such a love union with Jesus Christ and with one another in this last hour that John 17 will be fulfilled upon the earth and congregations throughout the earth that will spring forth with praise and worship in the last days in the midst of all the darkness and the hopelessness and the tyranny and oppression and suffering that is in this dark world without God. So I want to share with you what I received today by the casting of Lot from this week, what I received. And I know not what I'm going to share. And there will probably come an overarching theme out of this. Today is Saturday, and I received Genesis 5 and James 3, and both of these chapters are about ships, and both of them are about the issues of the heart, for it is out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. But before I get into sharing today, God may lead me to share even more from the stuff I received during the week. So I'm going to go back to the beginning of, towards the beginning of the week, on Tuesday, where I received Leviticus 5 and 1 Chronicles 29. And in Leviticus 5, there's the sin of ignorance, which I perceive from meditating on those scriptures was because of the lack of diligence to properly prepare. And that lack is due to the lack of wholeheartedness to love Yahweh, the Almighty's or the Lord God in England. In 1 Chronicles 5, we see wholeheartedness to love the Lord by preparing to build the house of God and acknowledging that everything we are and have that is good came from the Lord to bless us in the first place. And so we'll probably read some of these scriptures. 
lack of wholehearted love for God is a failure to see that God is the source of all good in our lives and in all good that is around us. And that it is not in ourselves. Now, this isn't an intellectual acknowledgement. This is a condition of the heart. Intellectually, you might be saying, oh, I acknowledge that all good comes from God. But in your heart, there is not that turning that is receptive to the reality of God being our source. And that is due to the lack of the genuine fear of God that we tend to fall into. So I will explain that more. This also relates back to the verse from yesterday I said here at the end that stated the reason why Israel did not obey the Lord. And I believe I did put that verse in here too in this section. So we will look at that a little bit later. And so maybe we'll look at that verse from yesterday, which I have down here towards the end, Deuteronomy 29, 3 to 4. The great temptations with thine, which thine eyes have seen, the signs and those great miracles, yet the Lord hath not given you an heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. So in this chapter, God's saying, I did all that for you, and yet here you are in rebellion against me despite all these things I did for you because I have not been able to give you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear because you have not turned in your heart to me. If you would have turned in your heart to me to acknowledge me as your source, then your eyes would have been opened. And so this goes back to understanding the genuine fear of God. In the genuine fear of God, there is the right condition of the heart that acknowledges and is like a sponge that totally receives who God is as the source. It says in John 15, Abide in me and my words. Let my words abide in you. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. It also says there that if you, that without me you can do nothing, that it is a matter of learning to abide. And the secret of abiding is out of the genuine fear of God, which is described in Isaiah 33, I believe it is. It could be 35, but most likely it is 33 where it says concerning the Messiah that the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Yes, Jesus Christ treasures the fear of God because it is the secret of his union with the Father, and he is equally God, just in a different function, in personage in this realm, the physical, to communicate on the creature realm, to experience on the creature realm. But Jesus Christ totally was reciprocative of the Father with his heart. He was in awe of the Father. He was an absolute, you see, awe is an aspect of love, really. Or it is the catalyst of love, if you will, of what brings forth love. It says that faith that love works, no, 
Yeah, love works by faith. Because moral persuasion in who God is, and who you're believing God is, releases, it comes, actually, it's faith that works by love. My mistake. Faith comes out of loving God. And loving God, the catalyst behind that, is the fear of God, which is a choosing to rightly perceive God and not just perceive God, but receive God and conceive God in your being back to God and glorifying him and in projecting him to others out of love. So the moral persuasion, which is faith in God, faith works by love, but love, the catalyst behind that love, you see, when you really love someone, you don't just treat them in a common way. They become so special to you, so precious to you, that you're in awe of them, in total reverence and respect to them. You see how great God's love is, how holy it is. He is so severe on your life against the ounce, the slightest corruption and sin and immorality. But you don't look at that as some victim you're in awe that God would love you so much that he would be concerned that you don't have things in your life that are going to destroy you. Corruption, sin, that would destroy you. You acknowledge him. As Abraham said, With he said, I am but dust and ashes before you. He acknowledged that without God, he was nothing. That in God, he was everything. He acknowledged that he was his source. He had this genuine fear of God, this reverence, this love. You created me, God. You created me for your glory. And so we have these verses here that are described, that are a description that comes out of the genuine fear of God, which is the catalyst that births love, out of which then comes forth faith in that love, moral persuasion in that love that is released in words and in deeds, in our lives. And so I just want to um, bring forth here some of these verses on the prayer of King David. When he's acknowledging his son as king and all of the things that God is doing to bring to, together this temple. You see, King David said he wouldn't give any rest to his eyes until he found a temple or a dwelling place for God. He knew that God doesn't just dwell in some physical habitation, but he wanted to honor God by making a place of honor for God to dwell in their midst and to meet with them. And so he says in 1 Chronicles 29, wherefore David blessed the Lord, Yahweh, before all the congregation, and David said, blessed be thou, Yahweh Almighty's of Israel our Father, forever and ever thine, O Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Yahweh, and thou art exalted as head above all, both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and thine hand is power, in thine hand is power and might, in thine hand it is to make great 
to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our Almighties, we thank thee and praise thee, thy glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. You see, it wasn't a sacrifice for King David to give, because he acknowledged that all he had and was, was because it was given to him by God. The true fear of God is always not grasping after anything is totally relinquishing its life back onto God, is abiding in God and saying, my life is not mine. Have your way, God. I'm clay before you. I'm in awe of you. I love you because I know you have the best interest in mind, even if you have to chastise me, even if you have to reprove me through someone that I find it's very humiliating. I will let it happen. Let the let the righteous reprove me, as King David said, it shall be a goodly oil upon my head. This is the true catalyst that bursts of loving God, is this fear of God, this awe, this, this love that is so sensitive to God. And so we see in this prayer so much. All this store that we have prepared to build thee in house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand. It is all thine own. It's not ours, God. It's yours. Thank you. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness, which is something that is so much part of the genuine fear of God. It drives us to the place of total honesty and transparency before God. That drives us to the place of humility, that drives us to the place of that total transparency and honesty before God. As for me and the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all these things, and now I have seen with joy thy people which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. God is calling us as his people in this hour to return to the genuine fear of God so that we do not commit the sins of ignorance, which is due to a lack of wholehearted love for God that causes us to be ignorant of things because we have chosen not to be diligent. And so, in a sense, we are willingly ignorant. Though it might have not come out of literal willing ignorance, we provided the condition for ignorance because of the lack of wholeheartedness. And God is saying by his spirit, return to your first love. Break up your fallow ground. It is time to seek the Lord till he comes and brings righteousness on you. He wants you to come into a circum fresh circumcision of your heart, which is circumcised by the sharp two-edged sword of the spirit of God, which is the two aspects of his holy, pure love, the purity of his love and the mercy of his love. Oh, that we would reciprocate that. There is nothing greater than this love. So we come to Wednesday. And in Wednesday, I received Numbers 2 and Ezekiel 1. And between these two chapters is observed a hierarchy of order. In the kingdom of God that is led by the Spirit of God and the voice of God, Numbers 2 is the hierarchy and order of the camps of the children of Israel, 
with the tabernacle in the midst. The cloud of God's presence rises to lead them, and they rise in the defined order that God commanded them to rise as armies. First, the camp of Judah rises up, and then the next camp and the next camp. As the cloud begins to come above the tabernacle, they know it's going to move ahead of them and lead them on. That leading as well as specific instructions from the voice of God communicating to Moses. And God is calling the body of Christ in this hour to come into such a love relationship with him that makes us so sensitive and reverent and love towards God and towards one another that we are sensitive to know one another not after the flesh but after the spirit to never treat one another with irreverence, with disrespect. I had a brother this week. It really hurt me a lot. He, I don't know how much he realized it. I went to a particular meeting and this brother comes up to me and he hurt me a lot because he did not treat me with reverence or with meekness. He came up, put his face right up to my nose, started saying, oh, you're so legalistic and you're so this and that. And I thought he was my friend. That's the first time. It, it hurt when you think someone is your friend and then they come up and instead of being humble and understanding, they judge you. And I haven't had the chance to get back because it does say in the word of God when someone offends you. You're to go and tell them their offense. And I've been so busy trying to serve the Lord that I haven't been able to get back. But this kind of thing happens. But I did humble myself before that brother. I said, well, if you think I have all these things in me, why don't you pray for me, brother? Just pray for me. And I let him pray for me. But I could have got blinking angry and almost punched him in the face. Or I told him to move his face back. I couldn't even see him clearly. He refused to do it out of his arrogance. So these things happen. It hurt me because I love them. And I still do love them, but I'm kind of, you know, you don't trust someone the same after they do things that you don't expect like that. But if I deal with it, I think I've got to, you know. So I'm just telling you, it's really important that we learn to be sensitive. If we really love God, if we're really genuine in our love for God, surely we can bear with one another's faults and we can share one another's faults it says we're to share one another's faults and to pray for one another that we may be healed and in this chapter here what do we have we have this order now the order that is described in ezekiel 1 is well known it is the intelligent beasts that are described there, and I don't need to go there and go into the details of, of all of that. But these beasts, one has the face like a human being, the other the face like an eagle, the other the face like an ox. And the other, so you got the eagle, you got the ox, you got the human being, and one like a lion. And those, of course, faces represent qualities that God is seeking us to be conformed to that are qualities that are in the being of God. Humanity, humanness, our frailty, having vision like the eagle, having the faithfulness of the ox, having the authority of the lion, of the tribe of Judah. 
And that was the other thing I acknowledged. <laughs> you know, I could have some guy threaten me that is way maybe in the natural more huskier than me. You know, I wouldn't be one bit afraid of him if I'm conscious of the lion that tried to jew him. When I look at what the men in the Old Testament did, they were King David's mighty men. How did they do those amazing feats? Was it was because they were so physically strong? It was because they became like Aunt Samson because the lion of God was in them. And yes, Wesley many times, or I don't know if it was many times, but a number of times I believe I read or was reading or when he went to meetings, some men attacked him and he beat them, Lincoln, he beat them, to beat them up because they were hindering him from coming to preach the gospel. The power of God came in him, he could take them on. When we have the authority of Christ in us, he may allow us also to be beat up and persecuted like they are in the concentration camps in China and so on. That may be allowed too. But we also need to know that God can protect us even possibly the way he did with Wesley. We need to know the authority of the Lion of Judah in us. And we can know that authority when we know we are walking in the light as he is in the light. That we are not living a lie. Where we're, some Christians, they have a, non, a, a non-genuine faith. God calls us for a faith that is on fame, that is not faith, a genuine faith in who he is. And when we're walking, not trying in our own ways to be something, but we're truly living a holy walk, we walk in uprightness. We're not presumptuous to say things. And there are Christians that have tried to command storms to stop and they never stopped they made a fool of themselves before the world because there was presumption. And I can show you other videos on my website at ultimatemeaning.com where a brother just has a tornado coming straight at his house. He goes up there and he says, in the name of Jesus, I will not allow you to touch this house. In the name of Jesus, you go over this house. And he said it. I don't know if that was his exact words, but it's approximately that. And you can watch in the video the tornado stop, go over his house, and then start on the other side. It is a matter of whether we are walking in the genuine fear of God that births the genuine love of God that births out of that a genuine faith that comes out of the Spirit of God that rises in us to speak as the oracles of God. So God is calling his people in this hour come into an order like these beasts and like the children of Israel where we can be under his authority and his leading and know his power to conquer. Israel conquered those nations. God went before them and conquered and they inherited the promised land. But then in the end, they compromised. And so the very ones in the end brought judgment upon them because they themselves became corrupted. Mostly through being attracted to the women and these women are worshiping other gods. That's what happened to Solomon. It happens over and over again throughout history. And so this is an area with men especially 
that God is wanting us to know a walk with him that can transcend these tendencies and these weaknesses in our lives. And I certainly know as a single man also how easy it is to be carried away with an affection and love for a woman. I'm believing for a particular lady to find Christ that I think God is showing me pretty clearly will become my wife, but I can't say for sure. I just put it on the altar and I've got over that. But the enemy attacked me for a while there. And he was really getting me overly focused on her, let's put it that way, and I was having a struggle for a time. And so this is an area where God wants to bring us into such a love relationship. What you do is you bring those weak, you don't deceive yourself and say, oh, God will understand this. No, you, you play it safe always with God. Well, it's not even the right word. You play it, you want to know that you're loving God totally, not holding back your love for God. And so you don't allow yourself to have compromise in your heart. For the word of God says that we are to guard our heart for out of it are the issues of life. Now we go on here and um, I guess I mean, okay, there's, I'm not going to go, I could not, this is all about the living creatures being so, you know, in tune with the voice of God and just in that order, this order that God wants, where wherever the spirit goes, the, the wheels went, wherever the spirit went, the creatures went, instant union with God. Israel following the cloud. God is calling his people to come into this place of order and authority and power under him. On Thursday, I received Daniel 10 and Jonah 2. And th in these two chapters, there are godly men that were on a mission by God. Daniel was obedient and Jonah was disobedient. And yet through his disobedience, he did repent and still fulfilled that mission. But in the end, he was still having an area that God had to deal with where he was not fully thankful. That God showed mercy upon Nineveh. How important it is for us to acknowledge the greatness of God's mercy, like Jonah had, it was the mercy of God that that fish threw him up. My, God is calling us in this hour to be those that are like Daniel, that are ready and obedient to enter the calling that he has for us, to seek him with all our heart. And then yesterday I received Numbers 5, and Psalm 65, and I wanted more insight, and God indeed gave me more insight. Why? I got a lot from Ruth after I got Numbers 5, although I already saw the, what was common between Numbers 5 and Psalm 65. It's about being no ground for the enemy to bring a curse in Numbers 5. And in Psalm 65, it's the same. Now, the curse in Numbers 5 has to do with a woman that's unfaithful to the man. And the woman, if she denies that she committed adultery, then they make her drink this dirt from off the floor of the tabernacle. And if, if it's true that she didn't commit adultery, it will not cause her to have her 
thigh rot and her belly swell. But if it doesn't, then she becomes an ugly looking person because God's judgment falls upon her. And so the word of God says, the curse groundless shall not, curse causeless shall not come. And so it is true. And in Psalm 65, now that was a vow that she had to make there that she didn't do this. And there was the breaking of the vow that could bring a curse. And in Psalm 65, we read, praise waiteth for thee, O God in Zion, unto thee shall the vow be performed. Then it goes on to say, iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. Blessed is the man thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. So I saw that there was vow mentioned and Psalm 65 and in Numbers 2. And then I wanted to understand more, and God gave me Ruth chapter 3. Now, Ruth was a Moabitess. And it says of the Moabitess that they were not allowed to enter the temple of God, I think, till the third generation nor were they to ever be blessed or have words of blessing pronounced upon them. And yet here is Ruth, who is a Moabitess, and she is blessed by Boaz, which is the lineage through which King David came. And no doubt she was also received probably into the congregational gatherings of worship, into the temple of God. Why was there no ground for the curse in Ruth? The secret is in Ruth chapter 1. And maybe I should turn to Ruth. I wasn't planning to turn to Ruth. So I take a second and just find that book and go to it. So I'm going to go to Ruth here. Ruth, Ruth, Ruth. Um, it's got so many chapters open here. Sorry about that. There is Ruth chapter 1, and we will read what it says here in Ruth chapter 1. That is such a, an amazing verse after the tragedy that they experienced. And she says this. So, all these tragedies happen. Naomi loses her two husbands and her two sons by a disease that came through. And these two ladies, you know, now they don't have any husband. And Ruth tells them, go back to your gods. Or not Ruth, Naomi tells them, go back to your gods. Naomi means pleasantness. And Ruth says this, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from falling after thee, for whether thou goest, I will go, and whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. 
when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her. Then she left speaking unto her. Ruth had a deep conversion to the God of Yahweh. She didn't want to go back to her gods, to her parents, to all of these things. She forsook all of those things because she saw in Naomi a faith that was unconditional in God, even though God was so severe in allowing these things in her life like Job. Naomi still reverenced and feared God, and she said, your God must be real if you could still praise him and worship him. And she became deeply converted in her heart because of the reality of God that she saw in Naomi. And out of that, deep conversion, you see, deep conversion goes all the way. It doesn't allow ground for the enemy to bring a curse. When there's deep conversion, the curse causeless shall not come. And I'm talking about generational curses. If there's generational curses and there's a deep circumcision in one's heart and a deep turning to God, there will not be the ground for that curse. But if there is not, though there is maybe a very profound conversion and a deep faith and genuine faith in God, but there's some area of compromise, then there's the ground. But in the case of Ruth, Ruth, she was allowed to enter with God's people and to receive the blessing of Boaz. God is calling us as his people in this hour to be those. It's better not to make a vow, but to be those that are so faithful in our commitment to Christ that we do not end up having the ground that allows a curse because we've not been totally married to Christ. In our vow of marriage, there's been compromise in our heart. And we fed it and we fed it instead of bringing our weakness to God and saying, God, take this away from me. We've held on to that weakness and been allowed the enemy to condemn us and say, no, there's no hope. I, I can't, I'm, I'm not righteous enough. I'm not worthy for God to forgive me. I'm not worthy. I don't think God, I don't believe God can take this desire away from me. Or you're not willing to say, take the very root of it away. True repentance goes to the root. And it asks for God to change us. And when he changes us, there can come a genuine love union with him. Because the genuine fear of God births that uprightness that does not justify sin and say it's not sin. And of course, that brings us to today. And both these chapters are about ships, and both of them are about the issues of the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Of course, in Genesis 5, it is about Enoch, who walked with God and had such a close relationship with God that he was translated. Do you think Enoch was born again of the Spirit? Of course he was. These, this everlasting gospel was from the beginning of time. Christ expected Nicodemus to know what being born again of the Spirit was before he ever died on the cross. Yes, these people experienced true conversion because the Spirit of God 
could still dwell with their spirit. And it says in John 14, ye know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you. And they knew him because they were born of the spirit, which I liken to, you know, the hand that surrenders, which is your soul and spirit that opens up to God saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The other hand representing the Holy Spirit. Now the hand can't can close. That even was true before the soul and spirit could be cleansed because in before Christ, it couldn't be cleansed, but at least the Spirit could dwell with them, bringing this state of a new creation. Where it says in 1 John that whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so this faith, which is represented in this open hand, a state of selfless trust, is held open by the Spirit of God from the beginning of time. Yes, there was always a remnant who was born again, and yes, it does say, that there will be in the last days. Israel is a nation that will experience their heart of stone being turned to this heart of flesh. But there's always been a remnant throughout the beginning of time from Adam that has had a relationship to walk with God even as Enoch walked with God. And God is calling us as his people in this hour to come into a close walk with him. Because again, what happened in Genesis, is that the sons of God in Genesis 6, 2 to 4, which is the angels actually, saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with men for he, that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years before the flood. Not talking about being 120 years old. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And I suppose there would also be men that were just really into being compromised with women that were human beings as well as these angels. And so this violence filled all the earth. There was just total evil in the heart of man. And as a result, there's the worldwide flood, which is hot. Just go to GenesisScienceNetwork.com. I have the link on both of my websites, loverealize.com and ultimatemeaning.com, 24-7 on all the evidence against evolution and for a young earth, and it's overwhelming now. So it's totally, really brought evolution to total annulment, really, because the evidence now is so great. And so you can see on there all about the flood. And that's another topic. But the other chapter, of course, that goes with this Genesis was James chapter 3, which is about the heart. And really, I should have it open to James 3. Just read a bit there in closing on the heart. And so I will go to uh, James chapter 3, which is probably already open here. It is. James chapter 3. And you can see that this is about the tongue. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to also bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in horse mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, 
which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listed. So you have Noah's ark, and the ark was to shelter those during the flood. Here we have a ship illustrating the tongue. The reason the ark had to come to be was because of what was in the heart, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh, and the tongue was speaking, and the imagination was filled with just evil, and that was the reason God said he would destroy the earth, because of the imagination that was in the heart of man. Evil continually. Therefore, the mouth was speaking evil continually. And it says the earth was filled with violence. The tongue crystallizes the imagination and makes it a full reality, bringing the full wrath and judgment of God as the consequences of the misuse of the tongue, whether it's to speak to someone and, and do things that are disrespectful to them or whatever it is. It is contrary to creating those created in the image of God out of love instead of treating them with love, treating them in a contrary way. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, and we don't need to go on to emphasize what God is saying. And of course, in Peter, it likens the ark as a symbol of baptism as to those that are risen with Christ above the flood of judgment because they came into a full identity in Christ, because they saw first their full identity and deserving the judgment of God as Christ was crucified on the cross. They identified with receiving that judgment they deserved and was put upon Christ. And thus they could identify with his resurrection because they received his atoning sacrifice. And it's symbolized in the ark rising above judgment in Peter. God is calling us in this hour to be those that walk in such a way in our relationship with God, that we are learning to walk in heavenly places and we're learning to be in that Sabbath rest, to ride in the high places of the earth or above the earth, above the earthly realm in a love relationship with God, that we would speak the words of blessing and not of curses towards God and towards those that are his. And he may call us to curse the wicked like he did with Elijah, who cursed those children that cursed him. I'm not saying that that is what God, but love is totally in judgment against what is contrary to love. And so there are times when God's love can come forth in, in its integrity to bring judgment on the corruption because it's so evil, to bring it into check. But whatever we speak, we speak onto what is ultimately onto life is those that are his servants. And so God wants us to have the wisdom that is from above, that is first pure, and peaceable and gentle, it's the meekness of wisdom. And meekness I describe, can't go into it again. It is a keen, it's got the understanding of the creasing of the brow in the fact that you are so self-searching of your own heart and reverence before God and humility before God, that there would be nothing 
accept what is pleasing to God in your heart. And out of that comes great wisdom that causes one to have purity, peaceableness, gentleness, and be full of mercy and without hypocrisy or partiality. So thank you for listening to this message. Remember, I have a book titled God, Headship, and Body Invasion on Amazon, and another one called Afterlife, Incredibly Irrefutable on the Afterlife. You can check those books out also on my website. I have my author link up there. But the one on the new order God wants to bring into the body of Christ is something that I'm praying with all my heart God will bring forth in these last days. Thank you for listening to this message.